History tells the following story of a happening in France in the spring of 1821 during a large reception held at the Palace of Versailles. It says, Late that evening, at the height of the dancing, a uniformed French officer threaded his way through the dancers to one end of the huge hall. He approached one of the guests, a heavy-set man in his late 60s, bent down and whispered something to him. From there, the officer went to a few others in the small group around the seated figure and then left. Gradually, one began speaking to another. As they did, certain dancers would stop even though the music continued. More and more stopped until at last the music itself died away. Only then was it possible for voices to cry to each other something that resonated in every mind like a deep-toned chord. The messenger had brought news from St. Helena, the small desolate island on the Pacific. Napoleon is dead. The three words were everywhere, echoing, 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 Napoleon is dead. Then as everyone stood, not knowing what to do next, the seated figure stood up, leaning on his stick to ease a leg lame for many years. Silence fell. This man had come to embody France almost as much as Napoleon, but in a very different way. His name was Talleyrand, Charles Maurice Talleyrand. He looked around the ballroom, and into the silence he said a single sentence. He said, It is no longer an event. It is only a piece of information. Last weekend, amid the echoing of three words, Christ is risen, a thousand-plus people gathered in this church to celebrate an event. Now just take a look around. We are what's left. To others, it might have been just a piece of information. Each year on this quiet Sunday after Easter, we have the same gospel reading, the story of Thomas <clears throat> the twin. So there's got to be some vital message inherent in the Christian faith and necessary for us to hear year after year after year. And I'd like to suggest it poses the question, now what? Do we really know what we're going to do next? For scripture to come alive and be relevant, we've got to use our imaginations and to try to picture ourselves in its experience. So on this so-called slow Sunday, and maybe just for a little bit of fun, let's use our imaginations and see what we can learn, not from what the story says, but from what the story does not say. First, 
We really do not know what actually happened on that Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago. After all, there were no witnesses. It was certainly outside the realm of human experience, a mystery. But what we do know from that event is that because of Easter, lives were transformed and the course of human history was changed. Second, the gospel passage says when Jesus appeared to his disciples the first time, Thomas wasn't there. What it does not say is where he was. Maybe he was hiding out of fear or running away in despair of his Lord's Lord's death. He might have overslept, perhaps was working in the garden or maybe even playing golf. But whether or not he was in pain or wrapped up in himself or even indifferent, he missed the first meeting with the risen Lord. So apparently, he had to wait for his own experience. And even though the other one seemed to get it the first time, where did we ever get the idea that there is an exact formula for faith? Third, Thomas, seeking proof of the resurrection eight days later, came face to face with the challenge of a God who was not confined to a tomb and was present to him in ways that he was not expecting and that he could accept. But the story does not say that Thomas did actually touch the wounds of Jesus. Yes, what he experienced was that God was not dead. That God is alive and gives us life and wants to be a part of that life. Although behind the door of doubt and control, Thomas was nevertheless met by the Christ who lovingly broke down the barriers of change and who showed him that the new life of the resurrection and and the presence of Christ cannot be limited. You see, God reaches out when we least expect it and meets us where we are. Jesus met Mary Magdalene in her grief and offered her love. He met the disciples in the house that had been locked and he offered them peace. Jesus met Thomas in doubt and caused him to believe But that's not all. Jesus simply appears within the locked room and greets the apostles with the words, peace be with you. He accepts them. Instead of hitting them with, where were you when I needed you most? He blesses them with peace. Words of forgiveness, love, respect, and acceptance. And then he breathes on them. And he tells them what they are to do next. Go out and be my representatives on earth. So did Thomas really miss the event? What if he, unlike his brothers, locked into fear, was already out in the world? Why? Because he got it. 
I imagine he already knew that to experience the risen Christ and to touch his wounds, the place to be is in the world. And then to know my Lord and my God. Thomas knew what we are to do next. To touch Jesus and know that he's right here with us. And then listen to his commission as he breathes his spirit on us saying, you are being sent into a broken world to touch those places where the body of Christ is still suffering and to proclaim and participate in reconciliation and healing. Just as we, you and I, are being sent because each one of us about to gather around Jesus' table here and at every other table at which bread is being broken in remembrance of him, we are now the body of Christ. Jesus' presence in the world, called and empowered to do what he did and more. That's what we have to do next. And lastly, the passage calls Thomas the twin, but it does not name his twin. Why not? Well, maybe it's because we already know the answer. Could the twin be you? Could it be I? Isn't there a Thomas in all of us? Thomas is the one who is searching, struggling to find God for the first time or to re-find God for the umpteenth time. Thomas is the teenager who looks at us adults and sees people who seem to believe, and yet what we say and do outside the church doesn't always fit the creed we say. Thomas is the one who searches proof of nails in our hands as signs of the sacrifices we've made by following the risen Christ and seeing perhaps only a scratch remain skeptical. Thomas is the one who struggles with a morally responsible response to the horrific atrocities in the world and who has all but despaired of a God who seems to allow innocent people to die. Thomas is the one who mourns the loss of his or her faith. Thomas is all around us, in our families, in the next pew, in ourselves. And so, my friends, on this quiet Sunday after Easter, amongst the echoing, echoing, echoing of Jesus Christ is risen, is the resurrection for us the supreme event of the loving and living God, an event that tells us that there is more ahead? Or is it only a piece of information? We do know the answer to the question of now what? It is to become the the true body of Christ to live in justice and peace with each other, to look with the eyes of our hearts and see Jesus among the poor and the powerless, 
to bring the joy of God's kingdom to a world steeped in darkness, to share the life of the risen Christ with those who are entombed in poverty, violence, indifference, and complacency. Several years ago, a teacher friend of mine was trying to explain the resurrection to her kindergarten Sunday school class when her own son waved his hand madly, desperately needing to say something. She called on him, and he replied, No, 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 Mom. You've got it all wrong. Jesus did that last year. (laughs) An event or just a piece of information? As Thomas reminds us, Easter is not over, not even since last Sunday. Easter's never over, and we do know what to do next. On this quiet morning, once again, happy Easter. Amen.